Welcome to Oaken Bros. This is Eric. And I'm Michael. Uh, so today we have on Ivor Cummings, aka the Fat Emperor. Ivor is a biochemical engineer. He has authored the book Eat Rich, Live Long. He is a speaker and he's the current chief program officer for Irish Heart Disease Awareness. Thank you for coming on, Ivor. Thanks a lot, Eric and Michael. Actually, just one quick correction. Uh, Irish Heart Disease, I moved on and went independent around March, April. So okay. I'm independent now, but they're still a great organization. Do you want us to redo that, or you're cool with with? Uh... Oh, you could just leave in what I said if you want. It's all the same. Eric, do you want to redo it? No, we'll... I think I think this is good because you know we took Fair we enough. took it from the website, and you know who knew? Yeah. So that that's that's great. Now, now we can update it. So Ivor, I, Ivor, I want you to scare the shit out of our audience. Okay, I have been preaching your gospel, no joke, to my family, and some people listen and some people don't. I got a calcium score. Uh, I was on a carnivore diet for seven years, keto carnivore diet for seven years, and my calcium score is a zero. I, it's, a, it's a long story. Um, Eric also wants to talk about his calcium score. Why is the calcium score so friggin' important? Right. Well, that's an easy one. So there's a lot of political and medical business reasons why over 30, 40 years it wasn't adopted. But I, I won't get into those, but a lot of kind of financial reasons, shall we say. Sure. Uh, so we say in engineering, <clears throat> and I've spent 30 years in complex problem solving, leadership and management, technical teams, all that stuff. Uh, we say if you don't measure it, it don't get fixed. Or if you don't measure it, you can't understand it. And that's so crucial in regards to the calcium score. So all of these blood measures like cholesterol and, you know, various and even blood glucose, which is better and insulin, which is really good. Uh, there's all these measures that indirectly tell you you have probably have a metabolic problem that will predispose and drive uh, atherosclerosis or vascular disease. So you can kind of guess and they use the algorithms as well. You know, whether you need to go on the statin is based on the world's algorithms for your risk for coronary disease and heart attacks in the next 10 years. So you got all these guesses and some of them are reasonable. Calcium scan in seconds, well, minutes looks right into your arteries and sees the calcium that's in your arteries and only diseased arteries get calcium and arteries without any calcium have very low levels of disease so you're looking directly at the disease process easily quickly hundred dollars and you look straight at the process so right. you'll find people with low risk scores you'll find them with huge disease you'll find people with apparently high ldl and cholesterol and they're high risk they need a statin in their 60s and they have zero calcium and they're actually low risk but it's the calcium scan that looks directly at the disease that will tell you the risk so That's why it. take why take blood then like what what's the point of taking blood why isn't a calcium score machine on every corner i mean we're in america right why isn't this on every corner in the world if it could save so many lives yeah well to really briefly give a little history and it's in the widowmaker movie and you can yep. google widowmaker cac those two words and you get the free version on youtube yep. but basically in the movie and i interviewed the professors who developed it there's a few reasons back 30 40 years ago when it came out it was stunning people said oh my god we can see the disease and it's just amazing but the problem is the medical business so one example was the mayo clinic uh, a team investigated it and they found out great news of all the people we send in for invasive catheters which can be risky you know angiograms around half of them we checked will have zero calcium scores. There's no need for them to get the procedure, but the procedure makes a, makes a fortune. So the Mayo Clinic management shut the team down. 
because wow. I think, you know, 25% of the revenue came from the cat lab where they do the angiograms. So they would have lost half of their biggest revenue source. No way. Uh, and I understand that that's business. It's terrible, but it's business. The other thing is they approach five or six pharmaceutical companies and they had this big sell. Hey, we can show you the people who are at high risk who need your drugs. All the pharmaceutical companies, same problem. A few weeks later, after investigating, they realized this is going to take more people off drugs who don't need them than it'll put them on drugs who do need them. So they said, no way. And then the health insurance businesses all looked at it, excited. And then they said, well, you know, it's no good for us because a lot of our people leave after two years. So anything we do by giving them scans and preventing issues, it's it'll terrible. go to our competitors. So every single medical, economic, kind of financial uh, vector just went against the calcium scan. It's only good for the people to actually save right. your life. So like I have, I got, I'm 37 years old, turning 38 in January. I had a calcium score of 17. And, um, you well, know, explain I was, your weight, explain, well, you know, I was, I can show you a little quick picture here. This is um, embarrassing. Ivor. That's, that's me with the, with the cutoff sleeves and, uh, okay. that's Michael in the back there. So I lost a hundred pounds, did keto eventually went, to, uh, went to carnivore and now I'm kind of back. I'm doing kind of paleo ish now, um, where I'm eating a bit more carbs and I'm maintaining my weight and everything's fine. I'm probably going to be going for another calcium score scan, uh, at some point in January. Um, and I guess that's going to be the real factor of, did it go up? Did it stay the same? Or I don't even know, can calcium scores get better based on diet? Yeah, they can, but it's not the rule really. So the calcium consider it like scars. So if you've got loads of scars and the scars are growing, uh, obviously the disease process causing them is going to cause you enormous risk. Generally, if you stop the disease process, your risk plummets within weeks. Hmm. So your risk falls away because the disease process that's driving the inflammation, if that's stopped, uh, your risk plummets back to someone who maybe has a zero score near enough. But, so but, but the, the catch is generally the scars will still stay there. There are battle scars. The calcium score, if you have a 200, you know, it might be only uh, after fixing the problem, it might be 230. Uh, a couple of years later, which is fantastic because if the calcium score rises only f around 15% a year, every year or less, the risk from the literature is really small. And if it's rising faster, more disease process, the risk gets massive. So there are a few people documented who've reversed their score where the calcium in their arteries actually leached back out into the system, mm -hmm. but it's a, it's a hard target to go for. And just one other little thing, uh, Dr. Michael Eads and others have seen that people who fix the problem, sometimes the soft plaque with some calcium continue to calcify. That's your body's defense mechanism. So you can actually still overshoot and rise on your score but a real expert will be able to see that it's old plaque that are consolidating, that it's not fresh new plaques appearing in your arteries. So that requires okay. a bit of expertise. So does a ribeye steak raise your calcium score? <laughs> no. You see, humans, humans evolved primarily through eating you know, brains and organ meats. And we, we know that. Every paleoanthropologist in the world will acknowledge that. It's not popular now because of the vegetarian agenda but it's just a reality so you don't generally drive disease with the foods that you evolved via hence the paleo diet you know it's good because it's not a magic diet 
But if you go back to what we ate before our grandfathers' grandfathers, it's pretty close. You go, you go back before all the foods that do cause the problem, like vegetable oils, sugars, refined carbohydrates and grains. You're basically just taking out all the stuff that created the 20th century epidemic of chronic disease. So of course you're you're going to be vastly better off. Um, carnivore is just an extreme version of that, really. Right. Where I always say. Anyone who has a medical problem or a risk problem, if you just eat meat, fish and eggs and vegetables and nothing else, no modern processed foods, mm -hmm. you're you're going to be 99 percent there just, just really? with that. Right. Yeah, I mean, so d does the food quality matter? I'd say, yeah, but not as much as eliminating all the ultra processed modern foods and vegetable oils, sugars and refined grains, which is ultra processed food mostly. So if you mm -hmm. remove all of those and you're just left with meat, fish, eggs, and, you know, olives and avocado and maybe dark chocolate and cream mm -hmm. and all nice things, beautiful things, especially that right. ribeye. And um, right. if, you, if you just eat real food, ideally it would be organic and no pesticides and, and full of minerals and vitamins from good soil, soil health, ideally for sure. But if you add in supplements like magnesium, potassium, selenium, and some of the things maybe the modern foods, even real foods, don't have enough mm -hmm. of anymore, and mm -hmm. um, you'll pretty much be mostly there, I'd say. I wouldn't be too obsessed with the quality. Dr. Eric Westman says with his overweight type 2 diabetic patients, he gets tremendous success. And he tells them, look, you can go in and get two hamburger patties. Just throw away the bone and the toppings. Don't have the Coke. Don't have the fries. And, and eat the patties. It's vastly better than what you're eating now. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah. And that's that's what we found. And, you know, I was because I 2012 is when I basically started my keto journey. And then I got a calcium score in 2019. Um, so my, you know, I don't know whether it was according to what you're saying, it was probably from my, you know, pasta days is what you is what probably caused it, you know, eating that way. And then I'm hoping that you know, my change in diet and losing weight um, is, you know, stopped it in its tracks, but I won't know that until a second test. Yeah, the problem is, and I have to keep explaining to people in fairness, a very common thing that people have difficulty understanding. Uh, your first score is great to tell your risk and where you are, but it's really your history. So if you fix the disease process um, in January, and your insulin plummets and your glucose plummets and you're not diabetic anymore, let's say, your mm -hmm. leptin goes down, your adiponectin goes up, and all those blood tests say, wow, you fixed the disease process pretty much. Uh, but you get a calcium scan in March and it's 190. You know, the problem is, that's the problem, it's your first scan. So you need the second one to compare mm -hmm. your direction. And to your question, actually, Michael, what about the blood tests, why bother? Well, I see the blood tests are, between calcium scans for someone with a low score you might be five year gap between scans no point mm -hmm. going crazy mm -hmm. someone with a super high score will want to check in in 18 or 24 months right. but the reality is between those gaps you can be monitoring your vector and see how your metabolic health is with blood tests so they can be very powerful if you mm. so with that does cholesterol matter does hdl ldl triglycerides do does that do those do, markers do the main, matter do the mainstream mainstream doctor blood tests that you have to get every year does it really matter or should really everybody should be getting a calcium score well i'd say the guidelines uh, 2018 they came out very powerfully with a lot of lobbying that went against the medical industry dislike 
and 2018 guidelines came out american heart association and they advocate now the calcium scan for middle-aged middle risk which is the biggest group so most people are middle in middle age are middle risk so you mm -hmm. don't really know you're going to have guys in there who are heart attack proof in middle risk you're going to have guys in there who are really high risk. They just don't know it. Calcium scan will find out. I so, have, I have learned more listening to your lectures than I have um, speaking to my primary care physician. Um, I I've read, I've actually read, I've watched on YouTube that vitamin D three, which your lecture D for debacle, is my absolute like in my top 10 favorite videos on YouTube, everyone has to watch D for debacle because you literally have like the key to long life and, and good healthy living. Is D3 and K2, um, will that help calcium scores? I've seen that by Ford Brewer. I've seen that by you. I've seen that by a few other doctors on there. Yeah, I'd say K2 is not proven in human trials. So okay. there's a lot of associational data, a lot of mechanistic data with all the chemistry and biochemistry. And I've no doubt it's really important and really beneficial for health, but, it, but it's technically not proven in a trial and it's similar with vitamin D. So you've got this kind of choice. Uh, the good thing is you go with the science that's there and we would always say D3, K2, magnesium, potassium. Uh, but the interesting thing is magnesium is in a human trial. To give an example, people often underestimate magnesium. Mm -hmm. So magnesium has gone down a factor of eight in vegetables. This is from official U.S. government DA data. Mm -hmm. uh, magnesium, most people are probably deficient. We're not even sure. But right. they did a trial, and it finished a year ago, and they took kidney uh, patients, stage three kidney disease. So they're, they're type two diabetics, really. It's not massive kidney disease. Mm -hmm. And what they did is they gave half of them blinded the magnesium and half of them not. So it was a real randomized trial. Mm -hmm. And remember I said 15% lower than that is good for increase per year in calcium and above 15 is bad. Well, guess what? The magnesium guys were at 11% increase over two years and the placebo guys were 40 percent so wow. there was a direct randomized control trial and magnesium made an enormous difference to the calcification but we mm -hmm. don't have that for d and we don't have that for k2 but i'd say really important but um just to know there's no proof the other thing is they're all good so k2 right. and d3 there's no toxicity worth a toss um we know they're good and right. i prefer to get my d3 from the sun and uv without burning because that gives you nitric oxide, lowers blood pressure, and gives you all other photochemicals, evolutionary. Right. Whereas the D3 tablet is just giving you the D3 and it's bypassing the food sources, it's bypassing the sun. But if you're in a bad weather place, it's certainly fine. A UV lamp might be another choice too. So UV lamps, would that like would that be good? Because we're, listen, from, we live on Long Island in New York and from, God, it's October. It's going to be November in a couple of days from November to April. It's dark. It's, it's horrible. It's you, you know, but from April to September, Eric and I mm -hmm. and our families are out all the time sunning ourselves. But there's a definite difference in the way that you feel during the winter versus you feel during the summer, you know, and I, the, the more you're outside, the more fresh air, the more sun, you, 100%. Just, you feel better. So would, can UV lights give you that same feeling? It, it can, it's not full spectrum, but it can give you 
a lot of the benefits and get your D right up naturally. So really? I actually, I'll admit it, I go to a stand-up tanning booth in really? Dublin, Ireland. We've got a terrible winter like you. And I feel like a million dollars really? when I come out of it for the rest of the day and I sleep better. And it's just because your body gets a huge boost of health from right. the UV in your skin. Um, the skin cancer, to be honest, that's been grossly exaggerated. If you don't burn, your body manages that UV damage. It just manages it like it manages, you know, the byproducts of digestion are inflammatory. Your body has to manage that all the time. You got to eat. So that's been overblown. The benefits are enormous and you're right to your mood, to how you feel. Oh my God. It's, it's amazing. I had, so in, in January, um, this is before I started my supplements. I, 2020 was the year of supplements for Eric and I, we went, we started seeing a naturopath who literally is on the same page as you. Um, and I had the flu in January. My daughter came home with the flu. She sneezed in my direction. I had the flu, knocked me on my ass, got vertigo a week later. It's a whole other story, but like, once I started, the, so I checked my vitamin D levels and I was like at a 30, right? I, and like last summer I was like a 42 and my, my primary care guy's like, that's fine. Don't even worry about it. You know, you, you don't need to raise it anymore. And then I saw a guy who literally talks like you. Um, and he's like, no, your vitamin D has to be at 80. I take vitamin D every day, 5,000 and 10,000 on and off every other day. My vitamin D is at 82 and I can't, I haven't been sick this year. I'm knocking on wood. Like not, not even a cold, not a drip. Yes. Like we've not been around other people, although Eric and I have played golf with other people and other people have gotten colds, but no, it, th there's a definite difference when your vitamin D level is, is through the roof. Yeah. I'd say it's, it's a marker for metabolic health as well. So if you eat well and stop eating processed food, your D will go right up without taking any supplements or getting sun. So it's a marker yeah. of your health. So that, that's just another thing. But certainly, uh, they've done a lot of trials over the years. There are a couple that have had dramatic effect on a flu prevalence, mm -hmm. uh, proper randomized trials. And funny enough, a recent one with, with COVID, believe it or not, a Spanish team <sighs> took uh, a whole bunch of people, not big numbers, but they showed uh, a 70 to 90% lowering of risk of having to get ICU in the D versus the placebo. So wow. very tentative, but very interesting. So I'd say, yeah, best to get it through the UV or the sun or foods rich in D. Uh, but the backup is the D3 or the lamp. And the spurty right. lamp in America, it's expensive. That's what I have. It's quite a large lamp with four tubes. Mm -hmm. And it's around $600, maybe $500. But that's FDA approved and human trials have been done on it. And it, that's unique. That's why it's expensive. And does, it make you, does that make you tan? It not so much. Uh, it will a little, but it's not the mixture of wavelengths focused on tanning you. Mm -hmm. It's more to boost your D. It's called the vitamin D lamp. It's specifically for degeneration. You got to look that up. So yeah, absolutely. Before we get to COVID, because definitely want to discuss that, I wanted to kind of go back to how did you get into what you're doing now? Because like you're a biochemical engineer. I'll straight up. I don't know. I don't know what that means. So, <laughs> like. So what was, what was your deal before you were a biochemical engineer? Where did you grow up? How did you get into this? You know, if you weren't doing this, you know, well, let's start there. Where very, did... Well, I, very briefly, grew up in Dublin, uh, Ireland. I was born in London, England, but I was only there a year. My father was working there. And um, I was always technical as I grew up. Uh, I was lucky. I mean, 
I was just lucky. I was very good in mathematics and very, very good in English as well. So I just got lucky with the two sides of the brain. But that may be one reason why technically I was so strong. So I used to make my own bicycles. I started doing woodwork myself, wow. got my own tools. I was just one of those guys, you know, my friends always say, oh, you're the guy with the Lego. You know, right. it's just, you know, you know how people are. So I went, I, it was a no brainer for me to do engineering uh, because I just knew that's what I was going to do, technical. And in college, uh, I did chemical because it was highly sought after. Uh, and I was interested in that anyway. I was very good at organic and organic chemistry. And then in college, uh, you had a choice whether to go into biochemical, where you do all human metabolism and the biochemistry of life and all that stuff, or you could go into chemical process, like more like, you know, distillation, industrial chemical. That was, that was easy for me. So my favorite subjects in, in the latter years were the chemistry of life, the books uh, and all of that technology. It was just fascinating, genetics and right. you know, all the stuff. Beautiful. So I came out and the next 30 years I spent in corporate and rapidly became a problem solver because it was just what I was born for. Um, I spent 15 years as a manager of technical teams in corporate, uh, but I always, even as a manager of large teams, whenever we had a major complex problem, multi-factor that threatened millions of losses, uh, I'd actually have to step into the role of master technologist or leader of the team directly and drop my management role. I was the go-to guy for decades. Mm -hmm. So that, that was me. So in 2012, when I got bad blood test results, I went to three doctors in succession asking the two questions you always ask when you're brought in to lead a team and they're lost. You ask, what is the impact of these bad blood tests and, you know, mortality, because I had five children, um, oh and B, what are the fixes? So there are obviously going to be root causes in my lifestyle, nutrition that can fix these bloods, because I right. knew I wasn't some kind of mutant. Right. This was being driven by a problem. I'm going to fix it. Uh, doctors couldn't help, three in a row. I could not believe they did basic blood tests and they could not give me the answers. Mm -hmm. So I started researching, went straight to the databases, ResearchGate, PubMed, got corporate log on, and I went through the human research the last 50, 60, 70 years for these blood markers. And within a few weeks, I realized it's carbohydrate metabolism is the problem, wow. not fat. I discovered vitamin D because I came across it through the pathways in our metabolism. They all interact. And I began to realize we were we were sold complete junk science for 50 years. I couldn't believe it. Oh I always believed God. the fatty meat was the problem. Yes. Right. I tried not to eat it. I ate all the breads and the whole grains, yes. the rice. Yep. All wrong. All wrong. I, how old? I have to ask this. How old are you? Oh, I'm 51 now, so I'm oh, 52 man. soon. God bless you. God bless you. Five you, kids, you five more? You, I mean, like, yeah. you, did you have a TV set in the bedroom? I mean, uh. like, I mean, come on, man. This is, we, I have two and Eric has two. And it's like, all right, we're, you know, that's it. We're done, but God bless you, man. That's that's amazing. Are your children as um uh, like interested in the science behind the low carb living and uh, as you are the, the science aspect of it? Yeah, well, 2013, 14, 15, and all the way up, they had to listen to it. Um, so yeah, <laughs> they they know it and they accept it. Now they cheat, you know, kids sure. are kids, teenagers, you know. Do you? Do you? Do you? Um, since the lockdown, I've been working seven days a week now on the science of SARS-CoV-2, and I've gotten myself very out there mm -hmm. uh, with some controversial views, um, yep. but I'm, which are shared by professors and doctors all over the world, thousands mm -hmm. of them. So I'm not too worried about that. We're right. Uh, but 
the whole lockdown and the whole pressure and i've been very intense on this because i see the future of our children the future of our society is under threat by what's happening um and the technical truth is being twisted and that horrifies me it always i could never handle that right. six months ago. so i have overindulged let's say and i always tell people so i put on some weight whatever uh, i always tell people like it's one thing for me knowing all of the science to kind of overindulge and then fix it back later right. it's a very dangerous thing for a general person i'm not being patronizing but it's a very dangerous thing to go off the wagon a bit for a person who isn't fully versed in the science because they might find themselves never getting back. Right. Uh, it's a slippery so slope. It's a very, it's yeah, a very, very yeah. slippery slope. You know, but and I feel, I, I feel like I'm sorry, but like once you're on keto or carnivore and then you have that cheat night and I do, I have my cheat nights and I'm, I'm at, Eric and I are actually doing endpoint allergy testing now to find out what, are, what we're actually allergic to our children. Eric, I want Eric obviously get into that, but having a cheat night, I feel like, you know, once in a while, is okay because come that Monday, you're going right back to the bacon and the eggs or, you know, the broccoli and, and the vegetables. You're going right back to that because it, you, you know, you remember how you feel when you were on yeah, it. Like to, to me, like having bacon and eggs is not depriving yourself of anything. Right. You know what I mean? So like, I don't need a, a chocolate cake or a cookie or anything like that. You know, I'm eating more carbs now than I, than I was. Um, and I feel great. So I, I kind of go towards that, but I'm not eating Twinkies and Ding Dongs. I'm eating sweet potatoes or, you know, potatoes and, you know, uh, uh, found this um, Hearts of Palm pasta, you know? So like, it's, you know, it, it's fine. You got to live a little bit, right? Got to have some vegetable pasta. Got to eat that Hearts of Palm <laughs> pasta, Eric. <laughs> live, live a little. Ivor, what's, what's a cheat? What's a cheat for you? Like a really indulgent cheat? Oh, the cheat is you go to a restaurant, they've got these artisan breads and you know, look, I shouldn't be eating that. I'm going to have gas. It's not good, but I'm not in a restaurant too often. So right, now right. I'm here and they've got these amazing artisan breads served. Um, okay. I'm going to, I'm going to cheat, but I know what I'm doing and there's right. no bread at home for the next week. So right. it's okay. Uh, but things that, and sometimes like you just said, I mean, rice and some potatoes when really the ideal thing would be meat and two veg but you eat some potatoes as well. And I try and keep them to the end of the meal. And this is not well known, but if you're going to eat the carbohydrate, like rice and potatoes, if you eat the protein and the fat first and you eat that stuff at the end, it'll actually mean a much lower insulin and glucose response. Really? So just by changing the order. So I do what a friend of mine, a, a microbiologist, he's a genius, Gabor Dosi. Yeah. What he does is he keeps that as almost like his dessert. So at the end of his meal, he takes the kind of slightly forbidden stuff and enjoys it as the end right. of the meal. And he gets the benefit I just mentioned. So clever ways of doing it. Interesting. Interesting. <laughs> uh, so COVID, um, you definitely like you, you're telling us stuff that is um, so provocative and um, it's it's fascinating what you're saying. No one, probably not one of our listeners, and we have a few thousand listeners is would even comprehend on what you're saying we, we're just told to do what we do we have to stay in mask yeah, up social I, distance go ahead eric you you know you probably don't know our day job is we own a global ground transportation service so we sh we chauffeur uh you know people all over the world we have affiliates in dublin and in ireland and in the uk and whatnot we have 10 locations across the united states and obviously being a chauffeured car business being a travel supplier in 
this economy right now, we were decimated and it was yeah, horrible. Decimated. And I, you know, I, we, we started this podcast when things were good. So I don't want to say that we're doing this because of what was happening. Um, but yeah, you know, the, our internal economy was, was, was it's horrible. And, and we're muddling through it because our parents were, they were smart business people and, um, and they set us and they set us up in the proper way to weather this type of storm. The question is, is, are the lockdowns working? Right. Is it just just yesterday, France and Germany, you know, they said that they're going back into lockdown. Tell us what you think. It's it's eight it's eighty thousand cases a day in the United States. Like I don't even know what to believe anymore. And I feel like this is politically driven and media driven. It's dry it drives me nuts. I can't watch the news anymore, Ivor, but please, I, I want to hear what you have to say about this. Yeah, it's hard to watch. I mean, the first thing is back in March. I heard discussion of the new normal and we're not going back to the old normal ever. And I found that curious because I had seen the Chinese data of the demographic affected and the impact. I had seen that the curve of mortality had turned over kind of independent of lockdown and professor um, Michael Levitt of Stanford, Nobel prize winner, winner worked this out in February too. And the same in Italy and the diamond princess cruise ship with the elderly people. Right. We had all the data to know it was going to be what I called a bad flu equivalent. So my wife at the time, she's an engineer too, and she was buying masks and getting worried. And I was saying, look, relax. I mean, it's going to be tough, but it's kind of going to be like a bad flu with elderly and people who have immuno issues, mm -hmm. you know, but it's not something that's going to be hugely different. And I was correct. I mean, there's no arrogance there. I was correct. Mm -hmm. So in Europe, we have 140,000 people in Europe, excess mortality in 2018 respiratory season. And this year it's 185,000. And it's mostly SARS-CoV-2 because when a new virus comes in, the others, it's very complex, often just, they just get out of the way from in the host. So 140,000 versus 185, it's 35% more than 2018, but in 2018, we didn't do any economy destroying measures. And then you come to the second point, the lockdown. So people would say, oh, but we did a lockdown this year. It would have been much worse. Mm -hmm. And that's categorically untrue by the science. I mean, I know it's controversial, but I'm telling you, it's untrue. Sweden did a very minor distancing. They went with the 2019 WHO guidelines for pandemics, which say no lockdowns, you know, no quarantine. They do. They always did. And the Irish ones are the same. Sweden just went with the guidelines we built over 40 years. It was the rest of the world that copied China. So it's like the rest of the world has done the bizarre thing. But the fact is, Sweden had people getting their hair cut, even elderly people. CNN went and made the sixth into Stockholm. They were shocked. There were people in bars and cafes. They were just told to stay arm's distance, wash your hands, got symptoms, stay home. That's what they did. They did the guidelines and Sweden now has a lower mortality per million than the UK and around 10 other countries. And they've the lowest mortality in cases in Europe right now because they just went through with the proper epidemic pandemic guidelines. And we have a whole flurry of analyses published. There's one in Lancet. There's one in Science magazine, I think. There's the Koch Institute in Germany. And if you put together all the analysis 
after the fact that actually looks to see did lockdown impact mortality they all say the same thing not really they just didn't it was a great idea it was intuitive the modeling out of imperial college and ihme in america they both came out with modeling that was around 12 times off too high it was mm -hmm. a mistake right but no one wants to admit it was a mistake they want to pretend that the religion of lockdowns is a real god uh, but all the published papers show very little impact there's no correlation between lockdown severity and outcome i mean your own florida the governor in florida it's nearly four weeks ago now brought in professor levitt and harvard professors who said what i'm saying because it's just reality right and the next day he dropped all masks I forget his name. Newsom is it or something? No, Newsom's in California. DeSantis. I think DeSantis, DeSantis is in Florida. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And I don't touch American politics, by the way. But I don't know the guy. Why? <laughs> Why wouldn't you? Why would <laughs> you're already kicking the hornet's nest over yeah, in Ireland? Know, we don't. We don't, well, we don't touch it either. So. We don't touch it either. But you might as well we kick can't. the hornet's nest now. I mean, it's Mike. I'm just uh, going to remove you from the show for a second because you're you're kind of blurry. Hold on. All right. Better. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. Okay. That's good. Yeah. So DeSantos, yeah, that's his name. And in fairness, I, I don't get into politics, but I mean, I, I judge people. I manage teams for 15 years. I hired a lot of people. I'm a good judge of character. Mm -hmm. And he seems pretty straight up, not too political on this issue. He seems to want to do the right thing. So he brought in the professors, top guys uh, I'm connected to. There are many more, thousands more who agree with us. And uh, two hours in the in their kind of their parliament or whatever they have, and the next day, he got rid of all mask mandates and all lockdowns the next morning. And the media went crazy because they had high cases, pretty high. The virus is in society. They have deaths. It's not like it was all gone. It was all there in your face. And he stopped all the lockdowns and the masks. Guess what happened over the next four weeks? Cases Nothing. Nothing. Wow. The cases continued. I did it in a presentation for a U.S. outfit last week. The graph goes across and then I hide the last four weeks and I show a picture of DeSantis and what he did. And then I slowly draw away the veil on the slide in PowerPoint. The cases kept going, no signal, no impact, four weeks. And you know, it's around a week before you see a signal, fine, four weeks. Mortality the same, probably two weeks before you see mortality signal, same. So this has been proven again and again and again all over the world. The data doesn't lie. The lockdowns might help hospital overload by moderating slightly the cases, maybe. Right. Right. But you'd only do it if your hospitals were overloaded. That's why in March in Europe and America, we did it for two to three weeks to not overload the hospitals. The problem was, when we didn't overload the hospitals, except in pockets like Northern Italy and New York, in fairness, just pockets that are severe, right. but across the world, we'd never overloaded. And after a few weeks, exactly what I said in March to my wife would happen, happened. I said, by the end of April in Ireland, this is going to go through the classic Gompertz flu-like curve. I was watching the ICs that. are going yeah. to start emptying. I said, this is inevitable. Right. And the deaths are going to go away. And by May, they're going to have to drop all this stuff. Um, and they said two to three weeks, but guess what happened? They didn't drop it. So no one wanted to drop the lockdowns. And we went the whole summer with varying degrees of lockdowns and there were no ICU, no deaths. And then they brought in mandatory masks in the middle of the summer for last year's flu-like illness in the middle of the summer when the hospitals were empty. Everyone suddenly had to 
mandatory masks. I mean, like, even if you think that masks help, which they don't really from 40 years of science, they might do a little bit, but it's, it's just not much. Um, even if you believe that, that they do help, why would you bring in laws in the middle of a summer in a country where there is nothing happening? Because if you do that, when do you ever take the masks back out? There's no exit strategy. Right. Because if, I mean, if, I'm, if, I'm speechless. I'm, I'm speechless and, and I'm, I'm, I'm upset because I don't know what to do because we're in New York and you know, it's Manhattan is, I don't want to say it's destroyed, but a large, no, Eric, it's destro- Manhattan they're, is they're, destroyed. They're, it's, it's not, it's certainly not the way that it was. And there are restaurants and there are shows, there are car services like us where, you know, it's, it's, it's horrible. And what are you supposed to do? And then you have, you know, Ivor coming on saying these things, but like, is it to, for, to where, to what? Because like, we're not in control. So what, what, what can we do? I think this was a media driven, um, thing. I think the media whipped everyone into a frenzy. They still are. Um, I'm on a news fast. I'm on a six month news fast. I'm hoping after the United States election, things would calm down. It depends on who wins. Who knows? It depends on who wins. You know, so conspiracy theory. Do you think this is all because of Trump, Ivor? Do you think that they're doing this to try and show what a poor leader and like, listen, he's, you know, I don't want to get into politics here, but we're not Trump fans. But like, do you think that this was done to make him look horrible? Uh, Not not really, uh, but that's part of it. I mean, everyone all over the world over the last six months has seen opportunity in corona crisis so the way i look at it is europe went down the toilet into anti-science before america got going so it's not really trump because europe had already gone crazy right kind of before and then america went crazy too i think america let's say europe ended up eight nine out of ten no it's ten out of ten crazy anti-science over this period and let's say america is is nine out of 10 or eight out of 10 crazy, right? I think America would have been maybe four out of 10 or five out of 10, except for the Trump factor. Right, right. Oh, did we lose you there? There. Oh, did you continue hearing me? Uh, you cut me out just a little bit. Hello. You're back now, but you're you're back just, now. it was glitchy just a second. Oh. Okay, I'll run it again then from the start point. Sure. So I think that... If Europe, let's say, looking back over the last few months, let's say it's 10 out of 10 crazy anti-science, bizarre stuff. Uh, And let's say America is 8 out of 10 or 9 out of 10. I think America would have been 5 out of 10 only if it wasn't for the Trump factor. So I think America, by its nature, freedom-loving and all, wouldn't have gone as crazy as Europe. Uh, But I think the Trump factor has probably driven them all the way as bad as Europe is. So it is a factor, but I don't think it's a fundamental problem. I'd agree with you. Uh, the psychosis in the people, the media fueling psychosis, mm-hmm. no one looking at the data that I've been sharing. And the governments at the start actually drove the psychosis. They said they were doing it to make sure the people took the necessary measures. But then the governments didn't stop them when the problem had passed. And the people were now put into a fear trap and they began to demand the governments to save them. 
And then it became like this terrible destructive feedback loop where everyone is is in a kind of state of psychosis and it's still there. And the media is fueling it, pouring petrol on the fire. Right. But the government paid the media to send, a, they paid the media in Ireland and England and elsewhere to put out adverts all the time about how terrifying and dangerous things are. So the media were paid to do it. Now, if you take all of that mess in all the countries, and countries are doing a me too, they're looking at that country locking down, they're saying, well, I'm looking down. Right. And they're looking at this country put in a curfew. I think I'll put in a curfew because if I don't and something happens, I could get in trouble. And if I put one in, who cares? Someone else's money, someone else's business is gone. I don't care. I'm a politician. It doesn't bother me. Blame mm -hmm. the virus. So you have all of this going on now, but that's I see as one big engine. But we've got to acknowledge it's not a conspiracy theory. Mm -hmm. There is another engine, which is international uh, bodies who see opportunity too. So WHO is on the record, clearly conflicted with the science and driving hysteria right through this. I mean, right. we can see that with our own eyes. Mm -hmm. Why? Makes them relevant. All their buddies and partners like this. Does the World Economic Forum, WEF.org or WEFORUM.org, they have it all over their website, The Great Reset, enormously powerful international organization. Every corporate on the planet is involved with them, and they want the Great Reset or the Fourth Industrial Revolution. And it's not a conspiracy when they tell you what they're doing. It's wow. all there. They have adverts that were in the front of Time magazine. They've said Corona is a huge opportunity that cannot be missed. But for them to take advantage of Corona to reshape the world and how we manage the world, uh, corona needs to be a big crisis if corona ends up kind of well it's like a bad flu-like illness none of those organizations including the un and the eu vaccines council none of them are going to get anything moved forward in strategies and plans if this is just a bad flu-like illness so for all of these worldwide organizations it has to be a crisis or it's worthless so they are influencing all the governments all the time no conspiracy theory it's just business. If I were working in there and I had a job, you know, to achieve the goals of the organization, I'd be doing it too. Kind of. Maybe I'd, you know, you know not like, in this case, maybe. We this, just, is, this drives me nuts. It's it's crazy. You know, this, this goes in line with, we, we, we recorded a, a live stream uh, yesterday and um, it was our Halloween special. And when we got on, we played, I don't know if you ever saw the movie, The Purge. I may have a long time. It's an old movie. Um, kind of like maybe 10 years old, 10 years old. Basically it's a horror movie. Yeah. It's a horror movie. And basically it's about how there's a new world order in the United States and once a year for 12 hours, uh, murder is legal and there's no repercussions and there's no medical help and there's no doctors and there's no, uh, no emergency help or police to come and help you for 12 hours. And we played it we were just kind of doing a gaff on it. And then as Michael and I were building out this episode, we were like, this isn't so far off because like, like that you basically you're like, we're on our own. Like we, our business, our lives, we're on our own. And if you're going to rely on anyone for help, you're, you're screwed. And I feel like what this has done is yes, there is opportunities. And if you have to use this opportunity to set yourself up in the future that you don't have to rely on anybody for help. And that's a hard that's a hard, it's a hard, hard to pill answer, to swallow. But it's, it's a hard it's, pill to swallow, and it's hard. It's hard to activate, especially if you don't have the resources or the mind for it. Um, but man, it's so scary because it's not that far off. 
This, the, you know, there, there, there is no help that, you know, the, the, the United States, we needed this second stimulus in the worst way. Companies all over the world, you know, we have restaurants around us going out of business. You have, you know, little league places going out of business, but then that affects the people who are doing the printing press for the t-shirts. And, you know, like it's, it has such a cascading effect across the entire economy. And if anybody should learn anything from this, it's not that you should wear a mask. It's not that you should wash your hands is that you can't rely on anybody but yourself. And whatever you do in the future, you have to try and make sure that, that you can survive this because if this happened, anything could happen. Yeah, there's an element of that. This thing is so absurd. I, I was saying months ago, it has to collapse under the weight of its own craziness. Oh, I hope so. The, the, I thought. Now, there are green shoots, but I agree in principle. People need to get together now into groups like the Great Barrington Declaration, gbdeclaration.org, has half a million signatures and 40,000 scientists and doctors have signed it just to go back to the old pandemic guidelines, especially now that the major wave has passed. There's only one major wave. It's been the same for all of history. Right. And they just want to go back to let's now shield the elderly and sick. We can put resources into that that will be a hundredth of what we're putting into lockdowns and get people under 60. We know the risk is vanishingly small. Get them back to work. Otherwise, we're going to have starvation, more cancer diagnoses missed, late stage development of cancers, suicide, depression, societal destruction, stealing away the future of the young. I could go on and on and on. The cost of lockdown ideology, because it's not science. I, I mentioned that earlier. It is an ideology now. It's mm -hmm. not science. Long since gone is science. Mm -hmm. The cost of this ideology is probably heading to 100 times the benefit of perhaps saving some very aged on average lives or extending by a short period. It, you know, the average in, in Scotland, I just got a paper today. In Scotland, the average age of death of a COVID person was a few years older than the average life expectancy for now. I mean, we see this all over the world. Like, I mean, all lives are precious, fine. But let's be realistic. When the average age for the latest virus that's now mostly passed exceeds the life expectancy age, like in Ireland, I'll give you an example. It's similar around the world. 19 out of 20 people who died in Ireland in the actual epidemic back in April, because there's nothing going on now, really. 19 out of 20 were never given intensive care. And that was not a capacity problem. The reason for that was, and I've checked it, it was ethical. Because the people involved, 19 out of 20 of the people who passed in our epidemic were so aged or, or close to death right. that it wasn't ethically appropriate to be trying to recover them, independent of SARS-CoV-2. I mean... The you know, two people the two people we knew that passed away from this, we knew, we knew three people that had it. The two people that passed away, one was 86 um, and, and, had, and was, uh, had like two or three strokes before that. One was 92 and was living in a old age home. And I think she was gone. And then one of our best friends from California was a uh, trauma surgeon at UCLA Medical Center. Um, he got it because he went to New Orleans for Mardi Gras with his girlfriend and he got it. And he, you know, he was, he said that it was, it was the, the diarrhea, the coughing, the breathing. It was horrible. I mean, now it's 10 months later and I, I, I think he's okay. I think like, he's, he's doing fine. He's, you know, doing, living his life. 
do you think that the um do you think the vaccine is the be all end all or you think that's just going to make things (laughs) (laughs) i mean please like go go for broke on the vaccine ivor i I have to hear this because like i'm thinking i'm not gonna be able to go to a restaurant our, you know, like our mother won't let us go to a restaurant if, if, we, if we're not vaccinated. That's how psycho she is about this. She's going to listen to this podcast. So school her, please. Like, what do you think about the vaccine? Okay, the, uh, sorry, Michael's mother. Uh, <laughs> the reality is, you see, I always have to start any vaccine. I avoid the topic because it's become insane. Like you can talk about statins. You can talk about any class of drug. Oh you can question right. the efficacy. You can't say anything about vaccines. It's bizarre. It's surreal. So I always say I'm the opposite of anti-vax. And I always tell the true anecdote that a few years ago, I had to go to China, to Shenzhen, corporation I was working for. I said, oh, you you meant to get vaccines for whatever. So I went down to the local doctor, the company doctor, slapped the vaccines in, didn't even ask what they were for. Mm -hmm. I didn't even ask what they were for. I didn't care. So I have no interest in the vaccine topic. I know that a small percentage of people can be profoundly affected and hundreds of millions of dollars have been paid out because any drug, if it does anything, will in a small percentage of people cause serious problems. And even the vaccine companies say there's no such thing as a vaccine without a percentage of people being badly affected. But that's just cost. That's everything. That's driving cars. That's flying airplanes. Yeah, that's that's everything. So, So I say about the vaccine, no problem vaccine. What I say... The best thing to talk about when you talk about a vaccine is not to get into the murky, you know, autism and harms because it's very unclear what the numbers are. Uh, Just look at cost benefit, because in all medical systems uh, in England, Ireland and America, there is a price officially put on how much to spend per quality adjusted life year extended. In England, it's around 20,000. Because otherwise you could spend like, I don't know, a billion dollars to extend a 92-year-old's life by a year. You have to have a number or you break the country. It's 20,000 per year. So if you do a quick calculation, you look at the coronavirus actual impacts, you look at the ages, you look at the quality life years that are lost, and then you look at giving everyone a vaccine to extend them. It's simple math. The cost per extended life here is around 20 times, maybe much worse than the guideline. So the vaccine makes no sense just based on that simple back of an envelope calculation that they use for all medications. So you don't even need to get into harms. You just say, why are we even talking about a vaccine for last year's flu-like illness? It's not anti-vax, it's just... Someone show me the numbers and show me where I'm wrong. I personally go ahead, Eric, because I want to talk about the flu vaccine. Yeah, no, I I personally think I I can't wait for the vaccine because I just want shit to go back to normal. If that's what's going to make it, if if that's what it's going to take, I'm hoping to God that that's what it takes to say, okay, now we can start assembling back to normal life, and maybe not in 2021, but in 2022, you know, we can see, you know the economy back to normal kids going back to school normally and 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 the whole nine yards that's my hope i think that's part of the part of the push for the vaccine as well as having invested billions and called it the magic bullet for six months the politicians and everyone nearly has to make the vaccine come out now and then say it was effective but the thing is if they brought out saline you know in some ways to be as well off they brought out saline and gave everyone saline injection and no one knew and then said, oh, look, it's kind of going away. 
which it would anyway, right. then everyone would be happy. They don't actually. I would be. Vaccine. I would be thrilled if that was the case. Ivor, do you take the flu shot every year? Oh, no, 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 because I took the ones for China because there seemed to be a justification, but there'd be no justification whatsoever for me to take a flu shot. It mm-hmm. just makes no. It's like I went back to the numbers. It's absurd. I took the flu shot when I got, so Eric and I have asthma, which is completely under control now since we changed our diets, um, still have allergies. That's a whole other, a whole other topic, but I took the flu shot religiously for the last 15 years and every, every winter I was sick, sinus infections, sick. The day I would take the flu shot, I would like, just want to hibernate for six months. Um, and I got the flu again this year. And I swore to myself, I don't care if I get the flu for the every every winter for the rest of my life. I'm done taking the flu shot because I've gotten the flu twice in eight years. And right the year my daughter was born, and just this past uh, winter, like I'm done. I'm done with the flu shot. I'm never going to take it, but I will take the COVID vaccine, hoping it's just a saline solution because I I don't want uh, I don't want these chemicals and shit in my body. You know, you try to live, you try, like, you know, Eric and I were on the diets, right? Where, you know, you eat the salads, you eat the the steaks, you, you know, you keep it as, as one ingredient foods as possible. And then you're going and injecting your body with, with this garbage that you don't even know if it's, you're, you're just being like a good sheep and told what to do, right? <laughs> the sheeple. Well, the sheeple. Yeah, it's so easy for me to be zero anti-vax and still say what I'm saying. I mean, it's just so obvious. The vaccines are a six to seven year cycle of, for safe development. They're going to right. do it in 10 or 11 months. The coronavirus vaccine was never developed. Uh, there was a company, a government body set up in England, spent 35 years trying to develop a coronavirus vaccine, and they eventually disbanded a few years ago because they couldn't do it. So you're going to take a six or seven year cycle with all safety checks, and you're going to do it in 10 months now when it was never done before. Whoa, moonshot. Well, come on. Um, and the problem is, it's for last year's flu-like illness. So by the time you're rolling it out, you're you're chasing the dry. I mean, you're chasing a, a receding flu. Right. It, it just I don't I just don't know. And the flu the flu vaccine again, no anti-vax. I wouldn't be afraid of taking it. I just right. simply wouldn't bother because it makes no sense. So I'll give you. I never took the swine flu vaccine when it came. My wife did, and the kids—they all got it. Her mother's a nurse. Oh, you've got to take the swine flu, right? And I said, yeah, but I, I've seen the data. It's only some Mexican drug addicts that died from swine flu. That's what the whole Ferrari was about, and they were immunocompromised. Really? And if you look at the numbers, it's not that bad at all. Uh, so no, I wouldn't bother getting it. Why would I? And I got the swine flu actually, and it was pretty bad. Two days, really bad headache. A very bad headache, but on the third day I was back working. Um, you know, I, I just I if if I thought it could be a good drug, I would take it, but it just doesn't make sense. Um, and flu, just a quick thing. There's a published paper in 2008. I have it in JAMA, like Journal Med- American Medical Association, top mm-hmm. journal, and a team did incredibly good mathematical work, and they looked at 25 years of flu vaccination and impact on mortality in the elderly. And they corrected for all the stuff that a lot of the teams don't correct for. They see correlations, but they're not really causation. They corrected for all of that. And they warned that we're the only team who's properly analyzing this and explained how. And their conclusion was the 25 years of flu vaccines going from 5% prevalence up to, I think, 60% in some regions of people who take it 
had no statistically significant effect on mortality in the aged. Now, that's not to say they do nothing. It's just there were effects on amount of disease and stuff. But the reality, the bottom line, the thing you're doing it for is to save the elderly mortality. Let's be honest. That's the only reason you do mass vaccination is to save serious outcomes of mortality. And the fact is it didn't make statistical significance. And they had 25 years. They had each year and they did the analysis by year and cross. I mean, it was published. You said it was, a, you said we're beyond the pandemic. Now we're in a case-demic. That was absolutely brilliant. I mean, that's what I tell people now. You know, Ivor said we're in a case-demic. The pandemic is over. And no one has anything to say when I say that. So thank you for that. No problem. They can't, they can't say anything now. The only thing is, we in northern latitudes, in northeast America and uh, in Europe, I, I said this months ago, when we come into winter, we know from the published science the coronavirus family rises in prevalence. So we are going to see more impacts. But all I ever said was the winter, independent of lockdowns, my prediction is it's not going to have an excessive mortality over prior winters worth a damn. And it's not going to look anything like the first wave because a new virus only gets one big wave and it's impactful. But then you've got the passing of the susceptible. You've got community immunity builds, T-cell, mucosal, B-cell, and basically the seasons change and it only gets one shot and it's had its shot in most areas. Wow. Some countries in Europe that never got a first shot because they entered the summer before the virus really triggered, they are getting a significant hit now, but they're only going to be the same as the other countries were back in April and maybe a lot less. So it's just a tough virus, like a very bad flu. And it's right. mostly last year's virus. So what are you working on next? What is your, um, what's your, what are your next topics that you're going to be destroying? Okay. Well, <laughs> uh, I'm stuck really with the, with the, the Rona as they call it, uh, because I'm engaged with groups in Ireland. Irish government has kind of gone literally insane and they brought in level five lockdown and it's, you couldn't make it up guys. Our ICU has eight people per million people in it. Oh, my God. It's no different than prior years. The hospitalization is 320 out of 5 million people. And that's with SARS-CoV-2 from a PCR test. I've been told by doctors on the inside, most of them are not actually suffering from COVID. People who, who came in with a broken ankle got a smear or got a test. They're a, they're a hospitalization. So the data clearly in Ireland shows it's no different than a prior winter. And they went level three four weeks ago, and they've gone level five, six-week full lockdown. And you know the irony that the hospitalization has leveled off, the percentage positive has curled, and the ICU is pretty flat. And they brought in level five when it had already flattened. And the hospitals aren't even, they're half empty, generally. Our own prime minister said on Twitter the other day, because he's clever and he knows this is all junk. He said, oh, people, you know, our hospitals are not loaded at all. In fact, we're half the loading of last year at this time, generally. So make sure you come in if you have a problem. You know, we're wide open in the hospitals. So what happened flattened the curve with lockdowns when you're worried the hospital's going to explode? And now here we are with half-empty hospitals, which our prime minister has said on Twitter, mm -hmm. and they brought in a level five lockdown. I mean, you can't make this up. You can't. So what do you say to someone, Ivor, like our mother... Um was is a cancer survivor and a heart attack survivor mild both she had thyroid cancer and she had a mild heart attack when she was younger we think it was over stress um she's 
freaking out about COVID. She doesn't want to go outside. She doesn't want to get COVID. Is she, you know, she's in that group. She's 60, what, 66 or something. Yeah. She's 66 years old in good health. Right. You know, but like, what do you say to someone like that? What can we as sons say to her and saying, look, you know, even if you get it, the chances are what, what does the data say on that? Cause you're data driven. Oh, right. If you're, if you're 65 or, or around that or below, you're around a hundred times less likely to have a major problem as a genuine elderly. So the risk for people 65 and below who have normal or good metabolic health. Now I know America has a lot of health issues and that's one of the reasons it's pretty hard hit. But if you're in good metabolic health and you're around 65, you're at risk. You might as well never get in a car because you're worried about a car crash. Professor John uh, Ioannidis of Stanford, the most cited scientist in the world, said this back in April, and he's still saying it. No one wants to hear. The risks for a 60-year-old healthy person are tiny, and they were much higher back during the actual epidemic. Hmm. And now they're even lower. So, I mean... You've got to ask yourself, why am I scared? Because if you see the actual risk level and compare it to driving and flying and, I don't know, doing sports, I mean, it's a bad flu equivalent. For people who are 60 or healthy, it's similar to a bad flu. The 1968 flu, everyone was at Woodstock, and it was worse than this. But, But no one changed a single thing in their life because the media and the government didn't tell them we're all going to die. That was the only difference. Well, right. I think the only real difference is high-speed internet. Yeah, right? and I think the world social media organizations. Yeah, I, I agree that that's the that's the big engine at the country level with governments, people, psychosis. It's a huge engine, and all the internet and all the Facebook and all the media guys yep. have gone insane. I agree that's a huge engine, but I wouldn't forget the smaller engine that's really really orchestrating all the worldwide organizations, because I gave a thought experiment. Uh, Einstein used to do these just to make a point. I would say if I went back in a time machine to March 2020 and only changed one thing, the worldwide organizations like WHO, WEF, and all the other ones, and UN and IMF got involved as well, driving the Rona. If you just took all of those and just stopped them talking about it, stop them having any input, all those organizations. I'll tell you, none of this would have happened. We wouldn't even be talking about it now. Really? There's no way the people could have done it themselves in the local governments. They couldn't have because by May, they would have said, oh, phew, it's over like a bad flu. Whew, mm-hmm. That was a close one. Mm-hmm. But no one said that. The reason is the WHO and all the organizations were telling the governments, second wave, second wave, second wave. This is not a flu. This is not a flu. There's no going back to old normal. That was all coming from the top. So it's not a conspiracy theory because they did it in plain sight. Right. <laughs> you right. can ask why, but who cares so what about do you, why? What do you so think? If you the, got rid of those. All, you, yeah. What do you think? What do you think 2021 looks like? Yeah. What, do you see an end to this, Ivor, or do you feel that this is this is this is it. Is, like, is there is there no putting? Obviously, there's no putting the cookie back in the jar. But you know, what what does 2021 look like? Look, I think there's green shoots in Ireland. There's a medical doctors group with doctors and surgeons and other top people getting together. And in the last few weeks in Ireland, the main newspapers for the first time ever, the other side is being told. 
and it's it's in the papers significantly and i think a lot of people are galvanizing and they're getting together now and mm-hmm. what i talked about they're saying this is unacceptable for the future of our economy for the future of our society for our freedoms for our children there's more and more people just realizing how insane this thing has become and i think there's going to be a groundswell and i think the media still have good men and women who might just wake up and realize we're actually journalists we we have right. we have an obligation to society to tell both sides of all stories and to seek the truth and you're going to see journalists beginning to wake up there'll be peer pressure against them at first but as more of them join up and more doctors wise up i i think it's going to start shift it's going to become very uncomfortable for the crazies who are driving this now mm-hmm. it might cause a lot of clashes you know if there's a rise of that but then in Florida, they've already done it. Do people in America right. not realize Florida dropped all the measures and they're fine? Yeah, no one's in saying the, the Florida is going through the roof. No one's saying Florida, the numbers oh, are rising like crazy. Right now, it's um, in North Dakota and South Dakota, you know, America's back at 80,000 cases a day. But I want to mention, Eric, Ireland has a lot of good golf. So if we have to move, and and they're reducing the restrictions, I Eric and I will weather. 100 move I need to good, Ireland. I need, I need good weather. Some, listen, maybe we'll go to Florida now at this point. Maybe Ivor will uproot yeah, his family and we'll go to Florida or something. Well, actually, I wouldn't mind Florida and Dr. Arthur Agatston, who who developed the Agatston score, is 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 a good good buddy of mine now. He's in Florida. Uh, we talk a lot about all the corona, but he's also doing the most amazing calcification work, doing serial scanning. He has guys who he scanned first around 37 years ago. They're still his patients. Wow. And he's still scanning them watching it's amazing and yeah so yeah florida florida i was there with him spent a whole day in his office with all his staff and put out youtube interviews i recorded uh that's a great place for anyone now it's not going to be cheap because obviously he has to run a business and he's Mm -hmm. top of the heap but anyone who does have a problem he's probably the best person in america before we end i had one more question um how did you decide that you were going to become an online personality like how did you get started with uh you know your youtube channel your twitter what and like what what was the post or the video that kind of i know we're at the hour mark into- Ivor. yeah I, I just, I, if you have to go i mean i love talking to you okay if you want to yeah, keep going we'll keep few going more minutes, a few more yeah. minutes yeah a few more minutes just you know because i love hearing about you know because we're on that journey now of trying to become obviously more noticed how did you how did you do that Okay, well, in, in short form, it, it happened organically at first, for sure. I, when I discovered what I told you about the fat and the cholesterol, and I realized how rotten everything we were told was, mm-hmm. and the enormous shift in population health that people just knew the truth, I began to give lectures in my corporate. And it was weird because I'm now lecturing. I, the first one, I, I wouldn't tell people what it was about. It was just Ivor Cummins is giving a lecture on the metabolic syndrome. And I purposely didn't tell them. So it was a huge buzz. Like we have a couple of thousand people. So we had to run two sessions because the room could only take a hundred back to back. And people were blown away. And then the following weeks, you know, you saw people's faces shrink as they were taking on board the advice. And it became a great thing. But a guy in there, uh, Trevor Land, I think, Trevor, he was into video and audio. And he began to record the sessions. And the big one that I did was called the cholesterol conundrum. Mm -hmm. And that was masses of research. And it brought together fat, cholesterol, you know, 
magnesium, vegetable oils. It brought everything and how the cholesterol transport system worked in the body. And it became a bit of a blockbuster. And I was contacted by Michael Eads when I put it on YouTube and Dr. Jeffrey Gerber, who went on to be my friend and co-author. All these people flooded out and started emailing me. So it went from there. And then the other thing I would say is David Bobbitt, an Irish entrepreneur, discovered me in 2015. He had got a calcium scan, massive scores, 52, even though the doc said he was perfectly healthy, three blocked arteries. So he's put millions of dollars into promoting the scan and he funded me to travel and develop my network and get out there over several years. So really appreciate that up until this year. So I, I just found technically, you know, I began to do my own video editing with PowerDirector. Mm-hmm. I love doing all the technical. Uh, I began to advance my equipment. David funded a lot of that. I kept researching. I kept pumping out material. I just kept going and going and going. And, and here we are. That's amazing. That's I, I, love I've, that. I found you when I was on my journey. Um, and you have been so instrumental to me and my family. Uh, your lectures are second to none. I am so grateful for you coming on this podcast. This was so eye-opening. And you have friends for do you get do you ever come to New York? You have friends for life with us. I, ha- I actually I, I'd love to get back there. I love New York. I'm a, my daughter is a medical student, second year in Ireland, one of the top colleges. Mm-hmm. And she came over in one of her first kind of breaks with me and met uh, doctors and professors in New York because uh, Dr. Ken Bruckler, good friend of mine, uh, a genius, uh, otorinologist, you know, a school-based surgeon, uh, he's, he's a good buddy of mine. I visited there uh, in New York, stayed with him and his wife, and also down in, um, not, where's Keto Fest uh, again? Oh, North Car- not North Carolina. I don't Could know. Be. Anyway, oh I've been, sure. no, love New York. I love the West Coast. No, we got to break. We got to break bread, eat some steaks. Not break bread. Next time you come to New York, we're going to go to Peter Luger's. You know, like Luger's. I was there. What'd you think? What'd you think? Ah, fantastic. We got tomahawk ribeyes. Yeah. We had four people. Yeah. And we're there with Dr. Steve Horvitz and my buddy Antonio Martinez, who's a lawyer in New York. And yeah, Luger's was fantastic. The next time you come to New York, you know, you'd be Eric and my guest. And I don't know if you use car service, but I mean, it's not even a question. We'll take good care of you the next time. I don't know if you use Uber, which is, you know, the way you talk about COVID, Eric and I talk about Uber, that they are a scam. That's our specialty. That's our specialty. (laughs) They're a scam. They're horrible. They're they're fake. They're a unicorn. They're not even real, but they're a very dangerous. Where can everybody find you, Ivor? Oh, I just say, just search engine Ivor Cummins because my name's not that common. And you immediately on the first page, you're going to get the YouTube where most of the stuff is, as you know. And then the fatemperor.com website will be there. And then Twitter, pretty big on Twitter now. Yep. Um, and less so Facebook. I've given up Facebook since Corona because it, it kind of, I'm surprised. Facebook is half kind of crazy people who are paranoid and half people who know this is crazy. Uh, whereas Twitter is a lot more, harder asked research type people who get it right so i'm more right. interesting well everybody thank you yeah thank everybody you for- thanks for tuning in please like subscribe follow michael and i i am eric oaken i am michael oaken you can follow us on also on social media under at oaken bros uh and buy ivor's book eat rich live long if you want to live a long time it's it's an amazing book and uh it's you know the low carb high fat uh lifestyle and, and uh yeah, Ivor, hang out for two minutes. I'm just going to play the outro. And uh, thanks, everybody. Thanks, everyone.